You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Again, we've been walking through, uh, it's been about a month since we've been in this, this study, but in Ephesians chapter 2, we've been walking through this incredible section about the power of God demonstrated in your life. And uh, just, for, uh, just for the refreshment, uh, I want to begin reading with chapter 2, verse 1, and just read down through verse uh, 6. Uh, this is what Paul writes. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among them we also once lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, again, what Paul's doing, just for some context, is back in chapter 1, verse 19, Paul is describing the overwhelming power of God. And he says that the power of God is truly indescribable. In fact, he uses four different Greek words in verse 19 to describe the power of God. And again, it's fascinating to me that it's like he's, he's reaching into the Greek language and finding every word he can of the word power. And he's trying to, he's using it here to say, do you understand the overwhelming reality and power of our God? It is indescribable. And then what he does is he says, oh, let me give you a couple examples of how this power of God is demonstrated in the world. Number one was Jesus, which you find in chapter 1, verse 20 down to verse 23. And he says the power of God was demonstrated in the life of Jesus. And so here is Jesus, deader than a doornail. You know, he's pushing up daisies. He's food for worms. Jesus is dead. And, and what did the Father do? The Father reached his hand into the physical deadness of Jesus and yanked Jesus from physical death and brought him into physical life, which is phenomenal when you think about that as a demonstration of the power of God. And if that wasn't good enough, he then took this physically alive Jesus, brought him into the heavenly realms, and sat him at his right hand, which is a, pos a position of authority and power and might, but it's also a position of relationship and intimacy. And so Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and it's a position far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And all things have been placed underneath his feet, and he's been given as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I mean, that is phenomenal. I mean, that's quite a position. And then Paul says in chapter 2, oh, let me give you another illustration of the power of God. And he says, you are a demonstration of the power of God. And he begins to walk through this, and we just read this. Uh, in the first three verses, he says, you were dead. Now, we're not talking physically, we're talking spiritually. So just as Jesus was dead physically, so you two were dead spiritually. And so think, think of how wonderful this is. Just as the Father reached his hand into the physical deadness of Jesus and named Jesus from physical death and brought him into physical life, so he has reached his hand into your spiritual deadness and yanked you from spiritual death and brought you into spiritual life. That's incredible. And if that wasn't good enough, then he takes, he takes Jesus from, phys, or from, from physical life and brings him into the heavenly realms and sits him at the right hand of the Father. Paul says, do you know what's happened in your life spiritually? 
He has taken you spiritually and brought you in Jesus and sat you smack dab in the middle of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And now you are seated spiritually in Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That is phenomenal. And again, this is a a demonstration of the power of God. Uh, Over the last several studies, we've been walking through those first several verses. And just for the sake of a reminder, uh, since I'm guessing we've all forgotten. Uh, In the first three verses, again, Paul is talking about the death or the life that you lived. In other words, he says you were dead. And again, we're not talking physical. We understand that. Uh, We're talking spiritual. And again, in verse 1, he says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But Paul begins to flush that out and says, oh, let me tell you what that actually looks like. In verse 2 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, you formerly walked according to the course of this world. In other words, you lived under the mindset, the attitude, the, the thought process of the world. In other words, your whole life was just wrapped up and lived according to the world. So whatever the world said was right, you said, okay. Whatever the world said was successful, you said, sure. What, however the world thought, and isn't it so sad in today's current culture, as you're looking at, especially where America is heading, whatever the world says is good, whatever the world says is bad, whatever the world says is proper, whatever the world says is not proper, it's like the church is succumbing to that same foolish stupidity, and we're living under that course of the world stuff. And the church is being defined by the world rather than us influencing the world. Again, and according to Paul, that's, that's former living kind of stuff. That, that's former dead stuff. That's, hey, you are not to live like the world stuff anymore. Not to make a political statement, but that's what he says. Uh, he also says, <laughs> anyway, uh, he also says, that not only did you live according to the thought process of the world, you lived according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, we're not saying everyone's possessed by demons, so get off that. But you recognize that when I'm living in sin and I'm shaking my fist in rebellion toward God, I am bringing myself under the same authority and that same attitude and that same spirit that works in the darkness, or the, the same spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, or the same demonic spirit. So we're not saying you're, you're filled with demons. It's just, it's that same attitude of selfishness and revolting and, and pride and arrogance and, hey, I want my own way. It's, just, it's that rebellion thing. So the same spirit that energizes the darkness, I have put myself under that authority and I just says, darkness, you can do whatever you want with me and I'm going to come in agreement with you and I'm going to shake my fist in, your, uh, in God's face. It's that kind of an attitude. Uh, Paul continues in verse 3. He says, You also lived in the lusts of our flesh. Now, it's interesting. When you, when you get into that passage, the whole living according to the lusts of your flesh, the idea in the passage is, uh, the, the word in the Greek has this idea of walking back and forth, pacing back and forth. Uh, the, the emphasis, uh, if you want a modern illustration, is like sin has taken you and thrown you into a washing machine and you don't want this, you, you, you don't even want it, but it's just, you're in this cycle of pa-pump, 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 and sin is just throwing you around, and you have no control over it, and you don't like it, but you want it, and you don't want it, but it just, you're just, you're in that cycle. And my guess is we've all been there, where we hate our sin, but we love our sin, and we want to get out of our sin, but we're stuck in our sin, and we just, we just hate all this thing, and we're walking back and forth, and we're just in this spin cycle of living according to the lusts of our flesh, and oh, we just hate it, but we just... And Paul says, hey, you were living according to the lust of your flesh. You may have hated this thing, but hey, you had no control over it, and you were just living just in this pum-pum-pum-pum-pum-pum-pum thing of sin. If that wasn't bad enough, he says, 
uh, you also were doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And what's interesting is where the one before that has this idea that you were pacing back and forth or you were thrown into the washing machine and you were in the spin cycle idea. The word here for doing the, uh, the uh, you were doing the desires of the flesh and the mind, that word uh, is the Greek word poieo, oh, which is this idea that it's, it's the internal kind of stuff. It's this inside that, that, yeah, before you may not have had a control over it and you may want it out of it, but this idea is that you are being creative and inventive in your sin. So it's not like you were, just have, you were powerless over sin, you just had to keep giving in. This is, you were so wrapped up in sin, you were so delighted in sin, you just couldn't help yourself from sinning. In fact, you were being creative in your sin. Uh, that word uh, poieo is where we get like the word poem or created or doing. It's this idea that uh, it's something from the inside coming out of you, that, that you are being inventive in it. Uh, it. It's the picture of like an artist painting a portrait. This isn't barn painting. This isn't a, oh, how much longer do I have to go kind of stuff. This is, oh, I get a paint today. And you have this beautiful masterpiece and, and it's the insides coming on the outside. Paul says, do you realize what was taking place in your life without Jesus? That, that here you were wrapped up in darkness and you were just living in a spin cycle of sin. But even more than that, whatever was on the inside was coming on the outside and you were being creative and inventive in your sin. I mean, that is miserable. <laughs> I mean, that is horrible. And Paul summarizes that whole thing in verse 1 and says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, you are dead in your sins. That here you are spiritually dead. But maybe the two greatest words in all of Scripture is in verse 4. And it says, but God. And Paul is setting up an incredible contrast. He says, over on this side, you have your death. Over on this side, you have all your rebellion. On this side, you have your, your, just your, your, your junk. But God stepped, in, stepped into the middle of that thing and brought you from death into life. Now, please stay seated. I know that's exciting. But that, isn't, that, isn't that incredible? I mean, that, that's, that is good news, folks. And the reality of the gospel can be found in those two little words, but God. That here is, here's my circumstance, and here's my sin, and here's all my problem, and here's all my selfishness, and here's, but God stepped, up, stepped into the middle of that thing and changed it, radically changed it. And we know why he changed it, because Paul goes on and he says, because God is rich in mercy. That word mercy is this term that's used all throughout the Old Testament, and it's this idea that from the one whom I should not expect anything gives me everything. It's that word hesed in the Hebrew. It's that idea that, hey, I do, I do not deserve God's mercy. I do not deserve God's grace. I do not deserve God's forgiveness. But what does he do? While I'm shaking my fist in God's face in rebellion, Christ died for me, Romans 5.8. That, that here I am and I, I get to experience the marvelous reality of his mercy, his kindness, and his goodness. Why? Paul goes on and says, because of his great love with which he loved us. That God just could not help himself. That God, whose nature is love, was so compelled by that love to go out and reach and save the lost. Uh, Jesus says, you know why I've come? I did not come to save the healthy. I've come to save the sick. I've come that I might rescue. I've come that I might heal. I've come that I might take you from this darkness, from this death, and bring you into life. In fact, I, I, you don't have to turn there, but a couple pages over in Colossians chapter 1, I, I love what Paul says about this. He says in Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father, get this, who has qualified us 
to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Do you know what God has done in our life? Here we are in the power of darkness. Here we are in the domain, this kingdom of sin and death. And God, through his great love and his mercy, brought us out of this place, transferred us because of the blood and the mercy of Jesus, and brought us in the kingdom of his dear son, which is a place of light and a place of love and a place of life. Isn't that amazing? Please, contain your excitement. I mean, this is, this is awesome. Now, <clears throat> as you walk through this, and as we move into verse 5, Again, it's interesting. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 5, Even when we were dead in sins, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again, it's a phenomenal parallel to what he was doing in chapter 1. And again, we walk through this, but here's Jesus physically dead. Here you are spiritually dead. And just as Jesus was physically raised to life, so you were spiritually raised to life. And just as Jesus was physically brought into the heavenly realms and physically seated at the right hand of the Father, so you spiritually were brought into the heavenly realms and seated in Christ in heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father in Jesus. Isn't it interesting that everything that is going on in your life is because of Jesus? Everything that's going on in your life is a parallel to that which is going on in the life of Jesus. Now, this is—don't get—please, please contain yourself. What's really interesting, and I wish, I wish the English language would show this better, but when you look at verse 5 and 6, there are three key words, um, and each of those words have a prefix. Don't get lost here. I know the nerds are excited, but just stay with me. In verse 5 and verse 6, there are three key words. One is, he made us alive— together with Christ. In verse 6, he raised us up. And then the third one is, in verse 6, he seated us together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those three ideas, those, those three verbs, he made you alive, he raised you up, and he seated you. Interestingly, those are the same words used to describe Jesus in chapter 1. In other words, Jesus was alive. Woo, guess what happens to you? You're made alive. Jesus was raised up. Guess what happens in your life? You were raised up. Hey, he was seated. Guess what happens in your life? You were seated. But the difference is, this is cool. In chapter 2, when we're talking about you, each of those same three words that happen in, verse, in chapter 1, those three words in chapter 2 have a prefix. And the prefix is soon. Not, not our word soon, but it's, it's the Greek word soon. S-U-N. That prefix has this idea of With. Now, again, we don't see this. Most English translations don't show this. But if you're really going to understand what's happening in the passage, you've really got to understand this idea of the with. And contained in the word is this idea of with. So get this. In verse 5, he made us alive together with Christ. That one was done well, at least in my translation. In verse 6, he raised us up with. So if your with is not in there, you should write it in. Because it really should be in there raised us up with, and seated us with. That, that's the idea. Isn't it amazing that what is going on in your life is because of with? Or it's because of or through the with? I know that makes no sense grammatically, but 
Just let's go with it. Isn't it amazing, though? The whole point is this. That everything that God is doing in my life, it's not like he's doing it apart from something. He's doing it with Jesus. How do I get experienced life? It's with Jesus. How do I get experience this raised up idea? It's with Jesus. How, how do I get experience the seated idea? Oh, it's with Jesus. I don't get to be seated outside of Jesus. I only get to be seated with Jesus. I don't get to be raised up outside of Jesus. I only get to be raised up with Jesus. I do not get to experience aliveness outside of Jesus. My aliveness comes because and with Jesus. In other words, as we keep saying through this whole letter, everything that Paul's trying to tell you in Ephesians is Jesus. This whole thing is about Jesus. And this, hey, this is about the preeminence of Jesus. And so, hey, would you get your life wrapped up in Jesus? Hey, would you just, get, just go crazy with Jesus? Because God is going to do nothing in your life outside of Jesus. In fact, you can even see that in uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. In chapter 1, 3 through 14, and we walked through this, I mean, we had countless sessions over this, but in chapter 3 through 14, sorry, chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, Paul is talking about the blessings that we have in God. And of course, he splits it up with blessings we have in the Father, blessings we have in the Son, blessings we have in the Spirit. But it's interesting that every single blessing that God has for you, ponder this, this is so neat, every single blessing that God has for you is contained only in one place. And you'll never guess where it is. It's Jesus. Isn't it interesting that God does not have something outside of Jesus for you? And of course, the illustration we kept going back to is God is not a store clerk. He's not a pharmacist. So you go up to God and say, God, I, I really need some joy. I just, I, I just desperately need some joy in this hour. Could you give me some joy? And God goes, oh, I've got joy. And he goes into the back counter and grabs this bucket called joy, this pill bottle, and he hands you this tablet called joy, and you pop the tablet, and woo, I got joy! And you run out the building, and you're like, I got joy, I got joy. But you know, you know, just a couple, couple feet down the road, you begin to realize, oh, it wasn't joy that I needed at all. I needed peace. So you come back, and you go, God, I'm, thank you for the joy. I really appreciate that. But, but could you give me some peace? And he goes, oh, I got that too. And he goes back and gets the bottle called peace, and he hands you the tablet, and you just go, oh, thank you. And you go outside and, you know, after a few minutes, you go, oh, it wasn't peace. I need it all. I need patience. So you run up to God and say, God, I need patience. Patience right now, God. Now, God, I need patience right now. Now, God, patience. And God goes, settle down. I got, I got it for you. And he goes and grabs a pill. See, God doesn't do that. See, so you go up to God and say, God, I need some joy. Do you know what he does? He does not give you a pill bottle called joy. Do you know what he does? He gives you Jesus, who is the fullness of joy. Psalm 16, 11. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is the fullness of joy. So if you want joy, don't go looking for joy. Go after Jesus, who becomes the fullness of your joy. Hey, if you want peace, don't go after peace. Go after Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. Hey, if you want patience, don't go after patience. Go after Jesus, who becomes your patience. Hey, if you want victory, Jesus is your victory. If you want love, he is love. Are you getting this? So it's not that God gives you things. He gives you Jesus, which becomes everything. And what's so amazing about that is I go up to God and say, God, I think I need joy. And he knows I actually need peace, but he still gives me Jesus. And in the end, I get both. Isn't that phenomenal? Or as Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3, everything that we need for life and for godliness is found in Christ Jesus. So if you need anything for your life, and if you need anything for your godliness, it's found in one place, Jesus and I've never thought of anything I need outside of life and godliness, which means I need Jesus. 
And so the whole thrust of the book of Ephesians then is, hey, you are to be in Christ, that he is the fullness of your life. Hey, would you just get wrapped up in Jesus? Hey, would you let him be your fullness? Hey, will you, will you just be obsessed with Jesus? Hey, will you just go bonkers with Jesus? And isn't it neat in our passage here? He's using this idea of with, that everything that's happening in your life, all that God is doing in you is with Jesus. That should be encouraging because no matter what you are facing, you're facing it with Jesus. And no matter your circumstance, it's with Jesus. Hey, I'm alive with Christ. I am raised with Christ. I am seated with him. You could relax in that, couldn't you? I mean, you, it's hard to be stressed if you're with Jesus. I presume. Now, granted, we all get stressed. I get that. But it's amazing. The moment Jesus gets bigger in your life, it's just, it's, your circum, it's not that the circumstances go away. It's just they quit being an issue. You still got to deal with flat tires. I get that. But you look at flat tires differently when you're with Jesus. You look at these problems uh, for the Ellerslie online thing we're doing. Uh, this week we're reading Brother Andrew's book, God's Smuggler. And I don't know how many times I've read that, but I just, I love that book. And what's so neat about that book is it got to the point, there's a statement I just, I heard yesterday uh, in the audio book. And he, he just says, I, it's like I purposely cause things to be impossible to force God to do it. And, and in other words, I, I allow these circumstances to be impossible. Like, I could hide some Bibles, but if God's going to get us through the border crossing, well, I'm just going to put a few Bibles on the front seat and just, it's going to force him to, you know, it's going to cause him to do something big. And it's like, I don't know if that's smart. And he goes, yeah, but God's faithful. And hey, I, I don't have room to put those Bibles hidden anywhere else, so if they're on the front seat, they're on the front seat. So I'm going to trust my God and and there was just this peace, and there was just this confidence, and, and he still had to deal with issues. It's not that there, the issues go away. In fact, you get in Jesus, you get more issues, <laughs> usually, for some of us. But the reality is, is the issues become, they're no longer issues when you're with Jesus. I mean, they're issues. I don't know how to describe that, but it's like, they're still there. You still have to deal with them, but they change perspective when you're dealing with the issues with Jesus. I love that idea. Well, let me give you three quick implications of this. If this whole thing is with, that, that you were alive with him, that you were raised with him, if you were seated with him, three quick ideas. Number one, uh, God did nothing for you that wasn't done in and through Christ Jesus first. You realize that what God is doing in your life is the same thing that he's already done in Jesus. Paul calls Jesus the first fruits. In other words, he's the prototype you know what a prototype is, right? You know, you're going to build something, and so you build one to see if it works. <laughs> Did it work? And so he's replicating that same life inside of us. And Jesus was the first, but you get to be the second and the third and the fourth. And hey, if it worked with Jesus, it's going to work in you. Because the same life, that, the same spirit that was in Jesus now resides within us. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's his spirit. Isn't that encouraging? So in other words, he did not make you alive apart from Christ. You're only alive in him. Why? Because he's already alive. In fact, read Romans. Romans is just replete with this idea. Let me just give you a quick passage. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 8. Just, just listen to what Paul says. That what was done in Jesus, you are now getting to experience that same reality with him because he went through it first. Uh, Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Isn't it interesting that, that what was happening in the life of Jesus, we identify. It's that idea of reckoning, that, that I recognize that my life is, I need to die. Not physically, we're talking spiritually. And just as he died physically, my, I have phys, a spiritual death in him. That, that, that what he did on the cross is, is mine. That his aliveness, him, him being resurrected from the grave, is my resurrection. That, that, that I am with him. So, so get this idea that what is going on in your life is not just some abstract thing apart from Jesus. Everything, everything that's going on in your life is because it's already been done in him. And you're being in him. That made any sense. Uh, number two, another implication with this whole thing is that if this whole thing is with him, doesn't it make sense that your whole life then should be wrapped up and focused upon Jesus? That if someone was to look at your life, they should, they should say, wow, I see Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> that would be Christianity. That, that what was going on in the life of Jesus is now to be going on inside of your life. Now, it's not you. It's, it is you, but it's him, but it's not him. I mean, somehow you and him have gotten so tight together that there's this intimacy. There's this flow. There's this change of resource. And, and is it me living my life for Christ? Yes. But it's him living his life through me? Yes. But it's, how do you describe this? I don't know, but, but go after it. Confuse somebody, but that's okay. Uh, biblically, we call this, and we love this language around here, that Christ is to be in you and you are to be in Christ. That the reality of Christianity then is that, hey, Jesus is to be everything in your life, right? He's not giving you anything outside of Jesus. Everything that you need for life and godliness is found in Jesus. So why don't you go after Jesus? Why don't you get wrapped up in Jesus? And why don't you recognize that your life is in him and his life is in you? And that there's this wrapping up of each other that I am in Christ and he is in me. Oh, that's Christianity. In fact, Colossians 1.27, I love this. Paul says, God has made known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Oh, what's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you understand that his nature and his attitude and his life is now to, now to somehow permeate you and flow in and through you. And yes, you are living, so it's not, you, you don't become passive. In fact, you get more active, probably. It's, it's, so we're not talking about passivity. We're talking about a change of focus, a change of life, a change of attitude, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of where it becomes Jesus. And Jesus becomes the essence of who you, who you are. Jesus becomes the focus of your life. Jesus becomes the reality. Jesus becomes your everything. Is that true in you? Are you obsessed with him? Can someone look at you and say, wow, you're a Christian. Oh, how'd you know? Did you see my Christian t-shirt? No, no, it's just, we just know. Uh, I've been pondering something that Dan said a few weeks ago, and it's just been sticking with me and uh, it's that uh, Peter passage. 
Uh, and again, I, I don't know fully what to do with this, but man, I'm just so convicted by this. First Peter uh, 3.15, probably one of Dan's favorite passages. Always be ready. Always. Be ready to give an answer to every man who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and fear. That you're always to be ready. And we get that part. But you realize the reason we always should be ready is because the hope that is within us is being demonstrated to the world. That the world looks and goes, how do you have hope? And what Dan said a few weeks ago that's just been really sticking with me is up until this point, culturally we've, we've lived in comfort and success and we've been pampered and we've, there's been no need for people to see our hope. But culture has gotten to the point where they've lost hope and they've lost their comfort and they've lost their pampering. And now everyone's just kind of fearful and just living in this chaos, which means we have a phenomenal opportunity to be Christians for people to see the hope. See, wouldn't it be neat if I could get so tight with Jesus that what was going on in him now is going on inside of me so that when people look at my life, they don't just see me, they see him and they begin to ask, what is this hope inside of you? Oh, let me tell you. Do you know what we would call someone who lives like that? I think we'd have to call them a Christian. Wouldn't we? Uh, Tied in with that is this idea, number three, what would happen if Jesus was actually the, the essence or the definition of our life? See, if my life was so wrapped up with Jesus— if my whole Christianity was with him, it's not I'm doing Christianity for him. This is not I'm doing ministry for him. This is not I have a Christian life for him. This is what if I have life with him? And what if my aliveness and my raised up and my seated is with him, truly with him? Wouldn't that mean that the only explanation for my life was Jesus? I love that quote by Ian Thomas that, you know, that if, if your Christianity can still be defined in terms of you, whether it be your willpower, your talent, your success, your money, your resource, your whatever, then although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. And he goes on and says that your life should be utterly inexplainable to the world around you, that the only explanation for your life should be Jesus. That when someone looks at you, they just say, that's impossible. I, I don't see how, I don't know how you're living. How is it that you have that kind of joy? How is it in the middle of all this circumstance, you, you have a smile on your face? Why is it that that neighbor that everyone just hates, you go out of your way to show love? Why is it that, that when all the world is going in chaos and the economy is tanking and all those darkness is coming in and you, you, you're at peace? See, shouldn't, shouldn't, there, shouldn't, be there, shouldn't there be an evidence of the reality of the life of Christ just bubbling forth through us? See, that, that, that's a Christian thing. That there's this hope within you that Jesus becomes the only explanation for your life. How are you going to have that? You've got to get with him. Because this is not my life outside of him. You don't have life outside of him because he is life. So the moment you step out of him, you don't have life anymore. So what if you want life? You've got to get with him. Well, I, I, hey, I want to be raised up. Well, then you better be with him. Well, I want to be seated in heavenly places. Hey, this is with him. Are you getting this? Paul is really strong on this. This whole thing is about Jesus. Would you just, could we somehow in this day and age not care about what's going on around us? I'm not saying ignore it, but 
But so oftentimes we are, we are so focused on all the external stuff and we forget the most central thing, which is Christ. That your life is to be in him, he is to be in you. In other words, this whole thing is with him. And that's exciting. And why on earth would we want to live life outside of him? That's insanity. Well, pray with me. Lord, Lord, thank you that what you are doing in my life is because you've done it in yourself. That my aliveness from death is actually with you. It's because of you. It's in you. The fact that I have been raised is because it's with you. It's in you. Lord, the fact that I am seated in heavenly places is, is not because I'm special. It's because I'm in you and I'm with you. So I'm just seated in you. God, could you somehow do something in our life where we begin to recognize that, that this isn't Jesus plus something, it's just Jesus. That the essence of Christianity isn't Jesus plus something, it's just Jesus. That the essence of our life isn't Jesus plus something, it's Jesus. Lord, could we come back somehow to the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ? where you are the preeminent one, where you are the essence of life because you are life itself. Lord, I don't want to go after peace. I want to go after the Prince of Peace. Lord, I don't want to go after joy. I want to go after the one who in you is the fullness of joy. Lord, I don't want to go after love. I want to go after the one who is love. Lord, somehow I need in this hour, in this day and age, in this culture, I, I need you. And I have you. I, I get that. But Somehow, could we, could we expand? Could we, could we increase in our intimacy? Could we somehow, this whole idea of with you, could this thing, can this somehow go to another level? And could my life begin to experience a greater reality of with you? Lord, could, could it be that my life, the only explanation for my life becomes you? That it's not any talent or wisdom or ability or resource or training or schooling or, or whatever. That somehow, like the early disciples, <laughs> well, they recognized that they were not that educated, but yet they had been with Jesus. Lord, could this culture look at our lives and be dumbfounded, not, not, by, our, not by our wisdom, not by our talent, not by our resources, not by our whatever. Let them be dumbfounded by the reality of the hope that lies within us, which is you. Lord, thank you that I get to have life with you. That I get to experience being raised up with you. That I get to be seated with you. Because, Lord, I want my whole life to be wrapped up in you. Lord, thank you for such a reality. Mm, you are good. We love you, Jesus. Give the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you'd like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. No, I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.